There are two kinds of people in this room today, and it's those who care and those who don't care about history. Those who care about history and those who don't care about history. You know who you are, right? Um, the ones who care about history drive their family a little bit crazy because they watch a lot of history-type shows on the TV. Um, and those who don't care about history often live with those kinds of people, and there's a little bit of a clash over, yeah, I'm seeing some facial recognition here. You guys are tracked with me. I start with history because uh, when we look at history, we wonder this question, why is history important? Those who care about history already know why it's important. That's why they care, right? Those who don't care about history have forgotten why history is important. This is a famous quote. Those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it. You've heard this quote, yes? That's fundamentally why history is important. I bring up history because we're about to launch into a book of the Bible that's a history book. Unless some of you go back to junior high or high school history and go, oh my goodness, now I get it at church too. Why, Lord? Maybe God's just trying to teach you patience. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. That may be the sole reason why we're going into the book of Judges. But I have a hunch that in the coming weeks, you're going to ask yourself, either internally or out loud, why is this important? Why is this recorded history of the Israelite nation halfway around the world from centuries ago? Why is this important to me? I would steer your brain back to this quote. Those who don't remember the past are condemned to repeat it. When you think about this sign, the truth of this sign is is hidden a little bit. I've cropped the sign to be gracious to you. Uh, This sign was found in Jonestown. And right below this sign, as people came in after the atrocity, they found the horrifying scene of a religious leader who had led over 900 people to their own death, mostly by their own hand. And it was this graphic, horrifying picture. And sitting above the chair on the stage is this sign. I bring this disgusting image to your mind because of this. I think we're tempted to read the Bible and think, our history is so much different than those barbaric, unenlightened, unmodern people from the book of Judges. I have no way of relating to people. That was ancient history, and so it doesn't apply to me. And yet we see this sign hanging over this scene in our lifetime, and guess where this got started? The Bay Area. Modern times, enlightened Silicon Valley people, almost a thousand of them, that uprooted and followed this guy out into the jungles and committed suicide. Good judgment is vital. God has graciously left all kinds of signs and wonders for us to observe. Amen? That's part of the joy of being a Christian. One of the things that, that we talked about a couple weeks ago out in creation is that God has displayed his nature in creation. It's so fun to, to discover that in the created world. But not only has he left all kinds of signs and wonders, he's also left all kinds of warnings. They point to his redemption and they warn of sin's eventual death. And history is one of those signs. History is one of those signs and wonders and warnings that calls to us, but so many times it's easy to ignore. You don't need to turn there, but you could jot it down if you want. Ezekiel chapter 33. I was reading this week, thinking about this message, and this chapter happened to come up. Listen to this. Son of man, speak to your countrymen and say to them, 
When I bring the sword against a land, and the people of the land choose one of their men and make him their watchman, and he sees the sword coming against the land and blows the trumpet to warn the people, then if the people hears the trumpet but does not take the warning, and the sword comes and takes his life, his blood will be on his own head. Since he heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take the warning, his blood will be on his own head. If he had taken the warning, he would have saved himself. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people, and the sword comes and takes the life of one of them, that man will be taken away because of his sin. But I will hold the watchman accountable for his blood. Why am I bringing up Ezekiel 33. Because this morning, I'm a watchman. I am sounding a trumpet. By going into Judges, there is a clear warning call that's going to be going out in the coming weeks. As myself and others are going to talk through uh, and think through with you the book of Judges. Ezekiel points this out, that in any warning-sounding call, I have a part as the watchman, and you have a part as the recipient. My prayer is this. Let's work together to heed the warning that's found in the book of Judges. If you haven't already, turn in your Bibles to Judges, seventh book of the Old Testament. And what I want to do is spend this morning, I just have a few minutes this morning, so we're just going to do kind of an overview of kind of orienting you to to where you are. It's always good when you're in a new place to kind of orient yourself to, to what's around you. Now, there's a guy that you may have heard of who wrote the first five books of the Bible. His name's Moses. And what happens after the first five books of the Bible is it enters into a time of history of the people of Israel. And there's a book called the book of Joshua that precedes Judges. And it says this in Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, Moses' assistant, So Joshua ushers in a time of history after the death of Moses, ushering in this new guy, Moses' assistant, who is now going to lead the people. Judges follows the book of Joshua. Listen to how Judges starts off, or follow along in the scriptures if you'd like. After the death of Joshua, so we had Moses, then we had Joshua. Now, after the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? Here's how the start of Judges differs from the start of Joshua. In Joshua, it was a really clear successor to Moses. Here's your leader. Follow him. In Judges, we see no leader. The people are wondering, who's going to lead us? They're a leaderless nation. And that tone really, really kind of carries through and sets the tone of the book. So the book of Judges, what should I know? Let me give you a few kind of brief things. If you're a note taker, jot some of these these things down. Let me just tell you, by the way, I don't get this because I pray and ask for divine wisdom from an ancient book and that God would just reveal it to me. Here's how I do this. I read a really good study Bible will have intros to every book of the Bible that you read. Oftentimes, we skip those and just get to reading the Bible. I'm never one to say don't read the Bible. So that's good. But there's a lot packed in, a really good study Bible. I use the the new open study Bible I have since college. It's an amazing resource to just kind of orient yourself to go, what am I reading? What am I looking at? 
So that's, that's where some of this is from. There's commentaries. There's something called the World Wide Web that offers a lot of great insight from a lot of super smart people that are at our fingertips to kind of get some of this. So I just want to put those tools in your hand. Um, the book of Judges covers 14 judges. So we're going to look at 14 judges over the next uh, several weeks. And it covers almost four centuries. So remember as we're reading through this in a handful of weeks that this is spanning 300-plus years of history going on uh, in the book. Uh, when you think of the word judge in our modern vernacular, uh, we usually think of something different than what's being referred to in the book of Judges. Now, we have some sets uh, this morning that we're going to kind of, we're going to kind of play with this whole judge courtroom theme, but that's not really primarily what the judges were about. When you hear the word judges in the book of Judges, here's what I want your brain to go to. I want your brain to go to deliverer, a rescuer, one who's going to come and provide salvation for a people. And that's really uh, what the, the judges were. They were liberators. Here are some of the themes of judges. Defeat and disgrace. Something that characterized this period of history. The Lord was no longer the people of Israel's king. The tribes of Israel were divided. The people were unholy. And by unholy, the word holy means to be set apart. So the people were intermingling culturally and in marriage and in worship with all the pagan nations that were meant to be driven out. The book of Judges is a story of the failure of God's people to take him at his word and to live their lives by his power. And all of this leads to God's chastening, which is a fancy word for God disciplining him. Disciplining. And the way he disciplined the people of Israel primarily was through slavery, was through occupation. So that's a pretty severe spanking, right? To be occupied as an entire nation because you're disobedient to God. Now, we're going to be playing a lot of worship songs this series in minor keys because this is a pretty depressing book, right? I mean, this is, this is some sad stuff. You're like, man, I was hoping for a joyful, cheerful message. The book of Judges is a pretty somber warning type of book. The title that we have for this series is Judge for Yourself. Let me just walk you through this so when you see this kind of seal, you'll kind of understand what we were thinking with that. First of all, the book of Judges. So that makes sense. We get that. Fundamentally in the book, they, the people of Israel, were replacing the judge, capital J, God, and making judgments for themselves. Therefore, they became judges unto themselves. Everyone was a judge for themselves, and they didn't submit to the judge. This looks a little bit like a California state certified seal. I know that because we've just done some adoption paperwork, and it had a very similar look to this. As we go through the book, here's what you'll see. You'll see that everyone puts was putting their seal of approval, their stamp on what was good and what wasn't good themselves. They were all making that judgment for themselves. We, as a group of people, modern people, reading back on these things that God's left for us in the book of Judges, we then get to read the history of the people of Israel, and we get to judge for ourselves what it looks like to follow God, what it looks like to abandon God. So that's the title as we, as we go through our series. There's three keys that will kind of unlock what's happening in Judges, and it's a, it's a verse to remember. I want to teach you a word. Some of you know the word, but I'll teach it to you again in case you've forgotten it. And then a cycle to observe, okay? So if you're taking notes, you don't need to remember all that. I'm going to walk you through it. First, a verse, okay? The verse is Judges 17.6. Judges 17.6 says this, In those days there was no king in Israel, 
Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Do you hear judge for yourself in that, right? Everyone just became their own judge. They became their own leader. This idea is mentioned a couple of times in in the book of Judges, but that theme plays out on almost every page of the book of Judges. So remember that verse, okay? We'll keep coming back to that verse, even though we won't be to chapter 17 for a little while now. Here's a word I want to teach you. The word is apostasy. Apostasy. What that word means is defector, one who recants or renounces, and, and a, a kind of turncoat, okay? Someone who pledged allegiance to something, who believed deeply in something, and then recanted, turned back from that belief. That's one who is an apostate. And what we see individually and corporately in the nation of Israel as an, is an apostate nation, one that turns their back, one that recants on their commitment to follow God. So this book is all about apostasy. Finally, there is a cycle to observe, and the cycle is a sin cycle. And it goes something like this. There's the blessing of God on people, and then there's sin. There's disobedience. And then there's chastening, God coming along and disciplining those that he loves because he's a good, loving father. And then there's repentance, and then there is deliverance. Some of you have walked through the tragedy of people who've been addicted to different kinds of substances, uh, many in this room have conquered that. Many in this room are in the midst of trying to conquer that. And many just have friends and family that they've walked through. And some of you have buried people um, who, who are in that. You know this cycle all too well. Relapse, rehab, repeat. So in kind of modern vernacular, thinking through an individual that would represent the nation of Israel, it's that right there. It's, um, it's, it's relapse, you know, someone who gets, gets straight, gets clean for a while, they relapse, they enter into rehab, right? And then they just repeat the cycle again. And that's what we're going to watch over and over in this book. Uh, if you want to jot this down, Judges chapter 2, Judges chapter 2, verses 10 to 19, is a miniature. It's like the book of Judges in miniature. It's this cycle right here in, in, in nine verses where you can kind of read it and say, oh, I kind of see this, this whole cycle played out that we're going to see kind of in a, in a macro level later on. So that's Judges chapter 2, verses 10 to 19. Now, there's a really common symptom that led Israel to where they, they ended up. And it has to do with leadership and submission. Let me show you a quote that we heard last week uh, from the Exploring Membership class. Uh, someone raised their hand and they said, I have a problem with the words obey and submit to your leaders. Now, as that was being said, I kind of had a smile forming on my face. And I just said, hey, anyone else have a problem with these two words, right? This person was not alone. They were the brave one that spoke up and said, I've got issue with that, right? Here's a confession. I have issue with that. Guess what? We all have issue with that, with leadership and with submission. Let me illustrate this this way. I want you to think right now of your favorite leadership book. Um, many of you probably own leadership books. Maybe you listen to leadership podcasts. But think about a, a book on leadership that has been impactful to you that you like. Okay, like Try to get that in your head. All right. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to get your favorite book on submission in your mind. Your favorite book on followership and just all that goes with that. Okay, I heard a couple people laugh. That's good. Because you probably can't think of one. You probably don't have a favorite book on submission and followership. You know why? They don't sell. Am I right? 
Think about this. For the sheer number of leaders that exist and the sheer number of followers in any organization, think of the company you work for, the school that you go to, the church that you go to, the country that you live in, the sports team that you play on. Do you get it? The sheer number of leaders to followers, shouldn't there be more books on submission and followership? Vastly more, right? What's the problem? The problem is everyone wants to be a leader. Everyone wants to be the leader. They say, man, I want to read the leadership books. Grow the leader in you. Become a better leader today. I mean, these are the things that sell really, really well. By the way, I have a couple of books on followership that are phenomenal. And they stand out in my library because there's so few of them. But can't we all just agree that we have a lot to learn when it comes to submission and obedience, right? This is not an ancient problem to go, well, we've, we've just... We've advanced so far beyond the people of Judges that we don't struggle with that anymore. Wrong. We struggle with that today, to be sure. When asked to weigh uh, one thing over another in importance, uh, when you're asked to weigh one truth over another truth, one value over another value, who gets to determine this? Who gets to determine what's true, what's not true, what's valuable, what's not valuable, what's important? What's not important? Um, we're going to see a lot of this in, in the scriptures, the, uh, in, in this book of Judges, the, the idea of God's way and man's way. The Bible is really filled with both God's way and, uh, and man's way. Uh, this morning, I have, uh, I have Exhibit A and Exhibit B over here, and both of these were bought fresh this morning. And I use the word fresh loosely with one of these. This is broccoli. Any broccoli lovers in here? Okay, yeah, broccoli's a hit in our household. Now, no. um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this as a display of God's way, okay? Um, never had broccoli for breakfast. Um, one of the that we can tell whether it's God's way or man's way is, um, I'm not certain of this, but I'm certain of... One fact, that this was not in the Garden of Eden, right? Um, so this was purchased about an hour and a half ago, and this is going to represent man's way, all right? I'm loving it. Mm. Wow. All right, we'll put that back in the bag. Broccoli and an Egg McMuffin, not, not too bad. Let me show you the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, we're going to have, this is a functioning scale, by the way, but we have to just kind of help it. We're going to have, um, we're going to have man's way carrying the bulk of the weight in the book of Judges. That is to say, we're going to see over and over and over again what it looks like to eat McDonald's. A lot. Now, here's a question. <clears throat> Do you need to go through the experiment of eating McDonald's for an entire month to glean from the knowledge that that's probably a bad idea? Yes or no? No. Have you seen Super Size Me, the movie from a few years back? Um, I've probably eaten McDonald's a couple of times since that movie. <laughs> We don't need to go through the experiences of our older siblings to glean some wisdom from it, right? 
Some of us have lived our lives the hard way. We just tend to say, ah, I need to do it myself. Some of you, probably even during the book of Judges, you will continue to gorge and feast on McDonald's. Maybe not real McDonald's, right? But kind of metaphor McDonald's. You'll continue to do it your way, and there's a certain sense to man's way that says, I'm loving it, right? When do you love McDonald's? Before, right? <laughs> a little bit during, right? And then what does that love turn to? Hate, right? I mean, you just, it like sits in there, you're like, oh man, why did I do that? So, McDonald's, and if you work for McDonald's or own stock McDonald's, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to rip on that one space, but you know, we get it. McDonald's is a decent representation of man's way, right? The book of Judges is weighted heavily in showing off man's way. And what I want to do is as we see this clear picture over and over and over again of people gorging on McDonald's, nothing but McDonald's for an entire month, and we watch their lives change, that the Holy Spirit would infect our lives and, and, and warn us of that, instruct us in that, that we wouldn't be so prideful to say, those are a different people in a different time that I can't connect with. We've already seen that's untrue. We're right there with them. With all this negative example in the book of Judges, the gospel shows forth really, really clearly. One of the things that Gria said last week that I loved is um, part of why we love this, this curriculum that, long story short, that, that our children use, is they really take the Old Testament and they point it to Christ. And they take everything in the New Testament, they point it back to the cross, this fundamental point in history that um, God clearly deemed as, as, as the pinnacle, as kind of this, this fundamental point. Um, and as we read the book of Judges, what we see is a lot of negative, a lot of darkness. And the gospel shouts from the pages of Judges. I dare you to try to find one person in the book of Judges that earns God's grace. Go look for it. That could be your homework this week. Go try to find one person who earns God's grace. What we see in the, in the, in the book of Judges is a people rebelling against God, running from God, living their lives in open defiance of God and a gracious God pursuing, a gracious God redeeming, a gracious God offering mercy to a people who aren't asking for it. And then once they receive it, they don't even appreciate it. Someone said that the gospel could be spoken in three words, and here it is. God saves sinners. If you get confused on the gospel and what it's all about, remember three words. God saves sinners. There's a ton about the gospel in those three words. And what we see in the book of Judges is exactly that. Each of the judges plays this role of deliverer. God raises them up, uses them to deliver. God's the real hero. He's the one in the story doing the, the rescuing, but he uses these judges. But they're not only used as a deliverer, they're used as a ruler, and every single one of these judges that we'll look at keep pointing forward to an ultimate deliverer, an ultimate savior, an ultimate ruler. Remember in the times of the New Testament where it says that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah? Does that, does that phrase sound familiar, right? He's the long-awaited Messiah. Here's what we're doing. We're, we're trudging through the history of the people who lived that to say this is why he was long-awaited. Things were a mess. 
We were a giant mess eating McDonald's nonstop, and we couldn't stop ourselves. And so Jesus comes along. He's the long-awaited Messiah. We're going to read some of that history and understand this little chunk of history as to why that was such incredibly great news. I want to leave you with a couple of bright spots to look for. One of the things that we saw last week or a couple weeks ago out out in the forest was that um, darkness is a great place to reveal bright light, right? Um, Light shows up really powerfully uh, when things are the darkest. And when you're reading through Judges and you're seeing all this negativity, what you're going to see is God's character on display. And three things specifically. God is righteous. As we go through Judges, you'll see this. Sin is a really big deal to God. Sin is a really big deal to God, both with individuals and collectively as as the people of God and what it means to be holy and set apart. A person or nation that abandons the law of God cannot hope to prosper in any real sense. Here's the truth about sin. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. There's a sense that we put sin on and it feels good, it looks good for a, for a season of time, right? And then it begins to chafe a little bit. And then after that, it begins to really rub us raw. And then we can't think of anything else except for how to get out of that sin. That's the way sin is. God designed sin not to fit. There are people that I love right now who are walking in sin. Here's part of my prayer. God, sin doesn't fit. Make it hurt. For the sake of love, make it hurt on that person. We were not designed to walk in man's way. We were designed to walk in your ways. God is righteous, and we're going to see that in the book. Secondly, God is sovereign. God is on the throne, and God is in charge. He is present in the saving acts of the judges. He's in control of both nature and history. We're going to see in the song of Deborah how she blatantly says, God, you're in control of, of, of the weather, and you use that to... Um, to, to, to deliver, to, to bring about your righteous purposes. You're in control of history, steering things to accomplish your righteous will. Even when it appears not true for a season, there are periods of silence in Judges that we will recognize. Even when it appears God's not on the throne and not on the, on, in charge, He is. Let me ask you this, church. Do we need this message now more than ever? We live in some pretty chaotic times. It's really comforting to say, God, even when it doesn't appear you're in control and you're on the throne, you are. And I can take comfort in looking at history and seeing that that's true. One more, and that is this, that God is gracious. You'll see this sin cycle over and over, but there's a key part to this. It's the mercy of God. It's deliverance of God. Does God have to save each time? No. What happens sometimes in our lives is this. We sin we get chastened, we ask, we, 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 we cry out to God, we repent, and He saves, right? Isn't it possible that on lap 27 of that cycle, we begin to presume upon the goodness of God? Isn't it possible to all of a sudden not receive that Christmas bonus as a bonus, but as deserved payment? That's what goes on in our lives, and that's what we see will go on in, in the lives of people here. Even when they get the grace of God, They presume upon it. They're not appreciative of it. God doesn't have to, and to presume upon his long-suffering love is a huge mistake. His grace isn't sought or appreciated, but he keeps on coming. He keeps on loving. He keeps on reaching out. I want to close with, with just a few thoughts. Lack of strong leadership 
those following leaders having problems with authority, people doing whatever they think is right, and people replacing God's way with man's way. Now, you be the judge. Does any of what I just read sound familiar to you? Does this not sound like the day and age and society that we live in? There's a second component to this. A God who is sovereign and reaching out to people who aren't even looking for him. Does this sound familiar? Friends, this is our story. This is what we sing about. This is what we get so excited about. So many stories in this room would say this. You know what? I wasn't even looking looking for God. God reached out and lovingly pulled me out of my sin cycle. As we go through Judges, there are going to be parts to Judges. I'll just warn you in advance. Where's my broccoli? Some of you really can't choke down broccoli. Some of, some of Judges are going to feel like that broccoli. It just will. As we go through it, there's going to be, there's going to be a certain trust component to say, God, all Scripture um, is profitable, but not all Scripture feels equally profitable, Right? We're going, to, we're going to wade through this Old Testament book, and I, I'm thrilled that you're here. Uh, I hope that you come back. I hope that there's a lot of people next week as well, that I didn't scare you off too much. Um, but we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to walk through this together. Let me pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you so much for your word and, and for, um, for history, God, for things that are in the scriptures for us to, to glean and understand your truth from. And Lord, I pray for all of us, for myself and for other teachers, but um, God, just for all of us who will sit under teaching and and discuss as community groups, God, that you would prod and, and pry our fingers off of that which is killing us. God, help us to see and taste and smell sin for what it is, as testable as a stench uh, that is robbing us of life. In Jesus' name.